Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in the motorcycle industry right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler. And this week, our guest is Moto America Junior Cup and Twins Cup racer, Gus Rodeo. This episode of Pit Pass Moto is brought to you by Moto America. Moto America is the home of AMA Superbike Racing and is North America's premier motorcycle road racing series. Rewatch every round of the 2022 series and revisit all the action with the Moto America Live Plus video on demand streaming service. Or visit the Moto America YouTube channel for race highlights and original video content. To view the complete 2023 Moto America race schedule, head over to MotoAmerica.com and be sure to follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for real time series updates. Well, Dave, welcome back. I know you're out last week sick. How you feeling, man? You get back up to speed after uh, Eichma and all that? Seemed like you had a lot going on over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, I did. I appreciate the concern, but no, we're all back and healthy and ready to go. So hopefully uh, the voice sounds good and uh, we can chit chat about uh, all things moto. Well, I don't know if you caught any of the mini Olympics, which by the way, I have to say before we even start talking about mini Olympics, how cool is it now that they're broadcasting these events streaming five, six hours a day of live coverage of these events. Never thought I'd see the day that amateur races you're able to view from afar, you know, full races. It's been awesome. I was definitely uh, flipped it on while I was working a lot of times last week, and just uh, it was fun to be able to, to catch up on the amateur scene and see some old names in the vet classes that I haven't seen for a while. And so the action seemed like it was pretty good. And, uh, wow, a lot of people, though. Amateur racing appears to be alive and well based upon the few drone shots that I saw. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And uh, it kind of reminds you of Loretta Lynn's, but in the wintertime. And uh, I love that daily broadcast, too, because you can check in and see what's going on. And it's great to have in the background, better than a talk show uh, radio or something. But anyway, um, great event and well-packed, well-attended. I know, I think you've ridden a Gator back uh, in years past, Dale, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Winter Series used to go down there all the time over the winter and uh, definitely did the Gator back national a couple times when it was still on the, the calendar back in the day. And um, interesting track, but it looks amazing. Like today, it looks like the best I've ever seen it. Like the dirt looked really great and it just looks like a fun track to ride even. Yeah, I think the owners have put in the hard work and uh, they just pack a lot into those four or five days. They actually extended this event one extra day because they had so many entrants to take in and, and get into, uh, what is it, 44 classes, I think I counted. Yeah. In total. Yeah. That's just insane. So they combine motocross and supercross into an overall score and run them all week. And uh, Danger Boy Deegan, Hayden Deegan, comes out with a 250 and 450 Pro Sport going 1-1 in all four motos. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, like it's funny, but I, I was... Before I hopped on here, I mean, it just seems like he 
not only did he dominate the racing, but he's, he's been dominating the conversation right now just because of, uh, you know, some people question him coming back, but I believe it's he had to go earn some points for the, uh, the, the road to Supercross. And so I think by him racing the mini Olympics, he was able to get two points towards his uh, AMA road to Supercross. And so I think he kind of had to, but yeah, it was the, definitely the Hayden Deegan show. I think he ended up winning pretty much every time he threw his leg over the bike, ended up with the silver tire award and the platinum pipe award. And so he was definitely the dominant rider, that's for sure. I think he got himself in a little bit of trouble there with his, his smoke show after winning the final moto. Like everybody's talking all about that for some reason, like it's a big deal to smoke the tires after uh, an amateur title. Yeah, it seems to be what everybody does now <laughs> when they want to win a title or win some major event. But uh, you mentioned the vet riders and some old names, but, you know, Mike Brown just continues to dominate that and own that whole vet vet world. Everywhere he goes. Does he age? He doesn't. He gets faster. <laughs> I know he trains in Florida and he trains riders in Florida for, I think, one of the KTM teams, the Husqvarna teams with uh, with that. So, you know, it's kind of like for him riding at home. So, But he, he won every moto in every class in five classes in motocross. So that's that's got to be some kind of record, right? Yeah, absolutely. It seems like every like every five to 10 years, there's like this vet rider that just seems to dominate everything. Like I think Mike Treadwell was one of the guys that was winning titles for a while. You know, they seem to be old pros. John Gruey is another ex-pro from Michigan that's now, between him and Mike Brown, they've pretty much been sweeping everything. What I call the factory vet riders, if you want to call them that, because they have pretty good support. So but what I also noticed though too is I'm starting to see more and more, like there's more of these second and third generation racers starting to line up. Like, I think you even called attention to it. Corey Karsten, that's Barry Karsten's son. Um, Liam Olaf, Joe Olaf's kid, who's, I think he got second in 250B down there. Uh, a rider that wasn't there, but another second generation, Luke Neese, Jim Neese's son. Yeah, I mean, so it's like kind of funny how this is happening. You know, Hayden, Brian Deegan's son, Evan Ferry, Tim Ferry's son. So we're starting to see more and more. It's kind of weird for me. It's starting to show my age a little bit, I guess. But, you know, it's strange to me when I'm starting to see riders I race with their kids are now top amateurs and top pros. Yeah, and it's pretty cool because uh, you get to go out and race with your kid. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you're if you're racing the event, may as well bring Junior along. That's how I, my, my kids got started. They didn't stay with it because they got into other things, but I think that's kind of how it happens, right? You're born into it, so you tend to gravitate towards that sport until, you know, until it burns out or you, you make something of it. Like it looks like Hayden Deegan's going to do. Yep. You know, he's, he's kind of anointed as the next big thing. Yeah, I think, you know, Evan Ferry, too. I mean, it's obviously his dad was a pretty high-level racer. It looks like Evan's on the same same path. And so, yeah, it's funny to see that. But were there any outstanding rides that you saw throughout the week that really just kind of impressed you? Like, one of them for me, I just I seem like I've seen a lot more European and South American riders that are showing up at races like these, you know, the mini Olympics to where because the U.S. scene seems to be the place to be for upcoming amateurs turning professional. Um, like one rider that stood out is this uh, kid named Quentin Prugneris. I think he's from France, riding for the Bud Racing Kawasaki team. And he got second in uh, 450 Pro Sport and really impressive, though. So it's, it's seen a lot more of these. It's becoming very international, this mini Olympics event. Yeah, I had noticed that myself, but it is a good point. And, uh, I always thought that Europe had a pretty good breeding system to bring riders up through MXGP eventually to where they could go through the tiers. But uh, maybe they're doing it for experience, and I think it's probably good experience. And it's also timing-wise, probably very good for them because they can come to Florida and ride in the good weather where it's probably right now pretty crappy in Europe to go racing. So it kind of makes sense, and it's a good way to get exposure and get seen. Yep. 
overall, though, pretty cool to be able to watch dirt bikes during the holidays, during Thanksgiving. And of course, you know, having been to that event, it's pretty fun to be down there too. All the families get together and eat a meal together on Thursday. And so it's it's a really fun, just, you know, family atmosphere, camaraderie. And so pretty cool to be able to, again, flip on the TV and watch, watch motocross over the holidays. No need for football when you've got two-wheel racing on television, right? <laughs> yeah, I agree. And uh, we've also got uh, two arena cross series going kind of simultaneously. I know they kind of collide on the schedule and overlap a little bit, but uh, we've got the ever-popular AMA arena cross championship going. And boy, that uh, that Kyle Peters is uh, continuing to dominate that whole series as he's done in the past. This, this kid has had a perfect season in arena cross and he's winning again. So it may be the Kyle Peters uh, show this whole arena cross series. Yeah, I think he's going for a record number of championships. But not only that, he came back from a pretty serious injury here in the spring. At Supercross, I think he might have crashed, but he broke his neck. And so I had to have multiple surgeries. And so he had a pretty rough, rough road. But wow, it's that makes it even more impressive to see that he's back to his winning ways. And uh, I don't know about you, Dave, but I, one thing that kind of brought up the question, you know, a question I had is, Apparently, the AMA Arena Cross Series really isn't part of that road to Supercross anymore, and there's no real real reason to actually race that series for points um, now that they have that road to Supercross. And so, really, this is just its own standalone championship. Um, they've got some good sponsors. I know it's Parts Unlimited, Moose, and some of these other brands. Mav TV, I think Ride TV is the other one. They're they're kind of partnering up to broadcast these, and so good racing action. Yeah, it's just kind of changed a little bit because of that. I don't I don't think it uh, really is necessarily you know, a step in the process of becoming a professional supercross racer any longer. Yeah, it used to be. I know you had to score one point and that would allow you to get into the supercross series, at least for a period of time. That's how they did it. But um, it used to be the guys that would be coming out of the amateurs would go to arena cross, get your feet wet, learn the timing and the jumps and the whoops and be able to move on to supercross level riding. And I see a couple of young riders coming into this AMA series is Caden Brazewell, mm-hmm. who's actually Kyle Peters' teammate on the uh, Phoenix Honda team. He came out of Loretta's as one of the hot prospects and now he's getting into arena cross. So he's kind of following that old school process of going from amateur to arena cross in the wintertime, which timing wise works out really well. It's consecutive. And that sets the tone for next year as he can kind of roll into uh, AMA motocross and then supercross. Yeah, I think Gage Linville is another one, too. I actually saw where he was racing at the Mini O's. He was kind of doing double duty where he did arena cross and then went straight to the Mini Olympics. Or maybe it was all the way around or he went to, to the arena cross after. But yeah, it's definitely a, a different uh, different series now. Um, nonetheless, they're getting great riders. It's a great step for those going on to Supercross. And of course, you know, for Kyle Peters, he's making a full on, you know, living off of just racing arena cross. Of course, he'll go on to race Supercross once that starts. But I don't know, Dave, it's arena cross for us was kind of like part of growing up, you know, like that was a way for us to keep racing during the wintertime. And so it sort of lost its way a little bit. Instead of just being a regional series, they tried to make it into more of a national thing like 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 they currently are at. But um, yeah, I mean, the arena cross to me is just such a great way to keep racing all wintertime. And this Hoosier series, you know, seems to be just as good. And they've got some great riders, Michael Lessie, Grant Harlan, Michael Hicks. So good to see that there's a couple of these series out there. I guess we can call them regional series that uh, give these guys jobs and a way to make money over the over the wintertime. And uh, hopefully they can carry that into their Supercross and Outdoor series if they're able to make enough money. For sure. And it's uh, like I say, it's it's good to at least be able to tune in and watch some racing and catch some results and see who's doing what. And these guys can kind of sharpen their skills for for Supercross. So 
I'm glad that they have the series now because there was talk that uh, a couple of these uh, seasons, I can remember where they said Arena Cross was going to go away and it actually did in one of the series and then came back. So that means that there's a need. So hopefully uh, these riders are getting their time on the track and they're they're filling that need. So uh, next thing we want to talk about today, I know, is this is uh, kind of an ongoing uh, thing, but I, I keep telling the guys in the office that... Uh, you know, it's Ken Roxon's world and we just live in it. And if you <laughs> so go true. if you go to social media, yep. you almost believe it because uh, what is up next for Ken Roxon and what's going on with this guy? I mean, how cool has it been, though? I mean, it's certainly kept kind of a pretty quiet, silly season. Definitely kept it very interesting. You know, air quotes, where will Kenny end up? You know, it seemed like it's just fueling the internet right now in the silly season. And I mean, he's pretty much ridden every bike that I've seen so far. He's, he's ridden the Yamaha at Club MX. Starkfarg, Hep Suzuki, the genuine Honda. To me, the two most likely scenarios, of course, are the Firepower uh, genuine Honda team, you know, Firepower slash genuine Honda, however that ends up playing out, or the Hep Suzuki. And from what I'm seeing more and more, it seems like the Hep Suzuki could be a reality. And my thing is, is like, hey, you know, with the way things maybe are going for KTM right now, um, maybe new isn't always better. Yeah, definitely. And I know they have their struggles. So yeah, I might be avoiding them for that very reason. But there's another player. You know, there were supposedly bikes built by Pro Circuit for him to try the Kawasaki. Oh, yeah. And uh, consider that as a, you know, maybe it's a stretch, but maybe it's a possibility with his Red Bull money that they could pull something together and build a rig and go racing. But they've got, what, not even 40 days before the gate drops. So I don't know. There's only one guy who knows for sure, and it's Ken Roxon. But, yeah. you know, if I was going by my gut, I'd probably have to say it's got to be the Honda only because he's already there. He's comfortable. He knows it. It makes sense. The HEP thing I keep hearing is lucrative for him. So it may come down to money. So if he can't finance this thing himself through Red Bull, then maybe he goes with the HEP Suzuki and it's kind of a, you know, it's a win-win because if he wins on a Suzuki, suddenly Suzuki's relevant again in the sport. And at the same time, Ken looks like the hero because he made the bike win. And if he doesn't, you know, they blame the bike. So, you know, Ken can't lose on that deal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Ken could ride a KLR 650 and there'd still be, he'd still be up front, but well, maybe not, but. <laughs> well, let's not get carried away. No. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I, my, my favorite scenario, of course, is the Suzuki. Cause I just think that's going to be the better story. And, you know, if, to give Suzuki, even if they won one race with him riding that bike, it'd be worth it, you know, because I feel like it would just put Suzuki back on the map and just kind of say, hey, it doesn't always have to be the most current technology. If you have the skills to pay the bills, you can do it. Regardless, it's going to be a fun story. And gosh, I can't, I think Anaheim 1 can't get her fast enough, honestly. Honestly, what would we be talking about right now? <laughs> it just comes down to every other day. It's what's Ken going to do today? What's he doing now? What's he riding now? You know, has anybody seen pictures? So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely keeping people entertained up until the gate drops. So I'm sure we'll find out in the next week or two that, you know, he's made his decision. He knows where he's going to go and he's pulled his deal together. I'm sure we'll know pretty, pretty soon. Definitely. Well, nonetheless, we'll be keeping track of it and looking forward to seeing where he lands and the rest of the pieces that, you know, fall into place before A1 and let's go racing, man. I'm ready already. You know, it's not even December yet and I'm <laughs> ready. I am ready too, man. I'm excited for Supercross, but uh, one last thing I want to touch on. Uh, we had a passing this last week, former world champion, three-time 500cc world champion, Andre Malherbe is a uh, Belgian rider, uh, passed away last week. A uh, young man, I think he was about, uh, about 60 years old, roughly. So, uh, 
a perennial winner for Honda over the years, competed against all the greats, only lost, I think, a couple seasons in 500cc, only three seasons. Lost one of them to Brad Lackey, who was the first American 500cc world champion. So uh, rest in peace, Andre Mallard. We want to make a shout out and uh, mention his name. We'd like to give a pit pass moto welcome to Gus Rodeo. He is a Moto America Junior Cup and also Twins Cup racer, number 96. And uh, he was runner up this season in 2022. And uh, welcome to the show, Gus. We appreciate your time today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, you know, I've been doing a little bit of research on the podcast and uh, you guys have had a lot of big names on here. So when I got the call to be on, I was like, I really need to jump on this and I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. We just love talking to, to fast racers like yourself, young guys in the sport that are coming up too. And uh, your season this year was just a great season for you. Unfortunately, it ended it as a tie and you had to go by the tiebreaker and lost out the title. But still, man, <laughs> hold your head up. That was a great year for you. I mean, how did it go for you? What uh, What was your mindset throughout the season? I was having a lot of fun from the beginning of the year. Our finishes just kept getting better kind of throughout the year. And um, it was a lot of fun. I, I liked racing with the people I was racing against. And we had kind of lost hopes for the championship halfway through. And our year kind of turned around in a matter of one weekend. And we were like, wow, we're still in the fight for this. And coming into Barber, I was in a pretty good spot. So I kind of had everything planned out. And I knew what I wanted to do. And we just came up you know, one more point throughout the season, we would have had ourselves a championship. But I mean, I can't really complain about anything. I I was having fun racing motorcycles, spending time with my family, spending time with my friends at the track, and you can't really ask for a better year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And how cool is that? Because you've got your family and your team around you. They're just, just feeding that that whole vibe. And it seems like your season came down to those races at Laguna and Brainerd where you had big setbacks. As you said, just that one point would have made a difference. How do you set your mind to that? I mean, what's uh, what's your mindset when you have a down uh, race and then you got like you did it uh, at Monterey, you came back and had a strong race too. What's in your head when you're thinking about, man, I got to get back on the bike and just hustle? Is that is it that simple or what's your mindset when you get into that situation? Um, well, I mean, instantly from the time when you crash, to sliding across the track, tumbling in the dirt, you're always thinking about, you know, it's time to pick up the bike and, and get going. I don't usually, you know, throw a hissy fit or anything after a crash because there's just one thing to do and that's get back on the bike and finish the race. So we finished that race in eighth or 11th after the crash and there was a red flag due to another incident. So it was good that I picked the bike back up because had I not, um, I wouldn't have gotten any points after that red flag. So you always have to plan for anything that can happen in a race. And um, Brainerd race one, I did pick the bike back up, but unfortunately due to like some protest rule, whatever, um, we didn't get those eighth place points because we did finish that race. But there's a couple points lost there in the championship. And um, every crash, I'm just, I mean, sometimes you got to find out where, where your bike's at and then pick it up and, and just get going. So let's let's face it, these Junior Cup races are always entertaining. I feel like you never know who's going to win the race until the last lap, maybe even the last corner. I mean, what is your strategy for these guys? I feel like this has got to be such good training for when you get in some of the bigger classes down the road that are usually a little more spread out, whereas Junior Cup is just 
there's 10 of you going at it throughout the whole race. And so I'm just curious to know, like, what is your mindset in that? Like, do you kind of just save it up to the last couple laps or like, I'm, I'm just curious to know more about your strategy. My strategy changed drastically over the past couple of years in the junior cup. It's basically trial and error for me. You know, having Maz as a teammate this year, he was kind of helping me out. And we kind of, me and the team figured out that our strategy needed to be uh, we needed to be in first, really. We needed to be leading these races because red flags have happened so much. You know, anything can happen, like I said before. So if you're leading the race, you can kind of rule out anything that's going to happen. Come a red flag, you're the race winner. Come the race finish, you're just that much closer to the front. So towards the end of the season, I just tried to lead as much as I could. And um, drafting comes into play. There's a lot of passes made just down the straightaway due to drafting. So I'm looking forward to getting on the bigger bikes. And um, there's a lot more room for improvement on the bigger bikes. I feel like I'm really just looking forward to moving up and more more competition, more learning, really. So you mentioned uh, your teammate, Anthony Maziato, who we've had on this show, one third of the uh, the Jersey Boys trio. Uh, along with Brandon Posh, who we've also had on the show. So now we've got all we've had all three of you on. But I'm curious to know, um, with having Anthony as your teammate, I imagine that's probably helped you quite a bit with your, you know, dipping your toes into the Twins Cup class. But also tell me about how did you get this whole rodeo racing thing going on with you and Anthony as teammates? I'm just curious to know how that came about. So my dad really wanted to get Anthony on the bike this year because he had a really successful season last year. He came into the championship halfway through, and I'm pretty sure he finished top five in the championship last year with missing, I think, four rounds, which is pretty crazy. So we knew that he would be up at the front in every race, and we knew he'd be a championship contender right away because I don't think there's a championship that Maz has raced throughout his whole career that he wasn't fighting for the championship. So no matter what he races, he's going to be there at the top fighting for it. So really having Maz on the bike, um, I'm going to be on that same bike next year. So I have data from every single track on the Moto America schedule that I can go into the first practice. I'll know the gearing. I'll know I'll have a bunch of notes from you know, what Maz's struggles were and how he fixed them. So I'll, I'll have so much to relate to. And, um, it was really a, a good move for the whole team, bringing him on. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to what he comes up with next year and, and where he's at, because, you know, no matter what he's racing, uh, he's going to be fast and he'll be fighting for the championship. So is it true? I think I read where, is he one of the people that helped get you into the sport? Yeah, he is. So NJ Mini GP is where I come from and they're pretty much based out of Pennsylvania, New Jersey and New Jersey Motorsports Park. So I live in Hamilton, New Jersey, about 30 minutes north of NJMP. And I started riding dirt bikes locally. Uh, I got my first bike in 2013, I think, or 2014. And I had some friends that raced NJ Mini GP, so I figured we might as well go try it, put some slicks on my 110. And uh, it turns out that the 110 class was getting pretty big, you know, in those years that I started. So my first year was a was like a learning thing, and then come my second year racing, it just really clicked for me, and I just started winning races and just really developed a love for the sport that. I didn't have before. My dad didn't race motorcycles growing up. I have some family down in Texas that they actually raced and I didn't even know it until I started racing, but they raced CCS down there. 
And for the most part, you know, my dad, he rode motorcycles growing up, but never raced, never anything like that. So as I learn and progress through the sport, my dad's also learning every weekend. So that's why I really feel like our team in general, you know, we're really progressing through the ranks. And I think soon we'll be at the top. We'd like to take a break from the interview right now and pay some bills. And here's a word from our sponsor. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. So this season led to a, kind of a cool opportunity for you. I saw you got to go and race uh, British Superbike uh, Series, and you raced in the uh, Junior Supersport class, and you did pretty well. You pulled down a P4 and a P7, and you guys kind of painted yourselves as the Jersey Invasion because it looked like uh, Anthony went over with you. But uh, talking about uh, you on that Kawasaki 600, what was that experience like, and, and how did you like the bike and the track and just, just the general overall thing of going to England and racing? So I was on the, I was in the junior, uh, super sport class on the Ninja 400. And then Maz was in junior super stock on the, uh, ZX six. Gotcha. Okay. So I, it was really awesome. I, I really liked being in that paddock and it was my first time racing overseas. So, you know, just being in another country racing, I've never raced for another team in my whole life. So being on a bike that my dad and my main mechanics weren't working on was definitely different for me. And um, I think it was different for my dad, too, just not having any bikes to work on at the track. He was kind of going crazy with with all the free time. But I really liked it. I liked the BSB paddock and uh, being in another country, everything's different. But once you get to the racetrack, it's all the same and it's all familiar. I really liked meeting all the other riders that I had never even heard about before in my life. And they're all so fast over there. The competition is so tight. I mean, there was 38 riders in my class and I think the top 15 were within probably a second and a half. So it's really cool. I, I feel like if we got to do some more races over there, we would be able to pull out a podium and, you know, hopefully that opened up some opportunities for me because I really felt like we had a good weekend over there. And I had a lot of fun working with a new team, you know, meeting new teammates. Um, it was really cool. I liked it a lot. And definitely had to give you some great exposure where you're seen and, and, and your results are noticed. So I 100% agree. I mean, that's that opportunity to not only learn some riding, but get that valuable exposure that could lead to something else. You never know. Yeah, I think we'll be back over there next year for another wild card. I could be 95% sure that um something you know we're we're gonna work on something for next year and come 2024 who knows what could happen but i'm i'm looking forward to staying in america uh for next season in the twins cup and possibly go back over there and do another wild card yeah i know you were signed up for our twins cup for this season i know obviously you focused on on the junior cup but um with that in mind, do you have a do you have a motorcycle yet in mind? Because uh, I know you're really not necessarily associated with a specific brands, so you're kind of wide open and you can pick and choose. Is there something you guys have uh, lined up for 2023? Yeah, so I'm gonna be on Maz's bike from last year, the Aprilia RS660. 
that being said, we have all the data for it and everything. It would kind of be to switch to a Yamaha for next year would kind of not make sense for us just because it, it would almost make it like even more of a learning year than it has to be. And I've had experience on my own Aprilia RS660. I raced at Daytona last year in the Twins Cup and I was battling for fifth with Dom Doyle and I ended up sixth. So I definitely think we should be up there come March and um, I'm going to get on the bike as soon as possible come next month and just start putting in laps and start learning and getting used to the Aprilia again because it has been it has been a couple months since I rode that and uh, focusing on the 400 for last season that we should have to get used to the Aprilia again. But having been on it before, I, I think it should be good. So what are you uh, currently up to in preparation for 2023? Because it seems like this is a big time, you know, big transition for you going from that Junior Cup up to full time Twins Cup. So you, you're probably riding Supermoto. I noticed that, you know, it seems to be one of your favorite things to do for practice and for fun. Um, what are you up to right now during this this off season? I love Supermoto. I started riding Supermoto on a 250 a couple of years ago, and I got an FS450. And over the past couple months, me and my mechanic, Rich, we've been building the bike, and um, we're rebuilding the motor right now. So once that gets all rebuilt and everything, I'm going to head south come the middle of next month, and I'm going to train with Brandon Posh. I've been training with Brandon for probably like six years now. And towards the start of it, it was kind of like he was showing me how to ride a motorcycle fast. And now it's like, okay, just watch what I do and try and chase me and try and do as I do pretty much. So anytime I'm on the same track as Brandon, I'm just trying to replicate what he's doing and trying to chase him because recently I've been, I mean, I haven't rode with him in a few months and it looks like he uh he found something on the supermoto so i uh i'm looking forward to getting back down south with him and uh putting in some more laps so what's it like i'm curious to know a little piece of trivia for our listeners out there um your hometown hamilton is the blueberry capital of the world what's it like growing up there that's a pretty interesting piece of trivia in my mind <laughs> 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 um yeah when we were gonna do like a special helmet for uh njmp this year we were thinking about just doing a blueberry but um, we ended up doing the jersey devil it's really it's really not anything crazy um it's really sandy out here so that's why the blueberries grow so well and there's a lot of farms around here in my town especially and a lot of popular blueberry names are in this town of course but it's not nothing crazy. I mean, I, I like blueberries, but they're not my favorite. <laughs> yeah, it's also, I think, aren't you in the middle of, there's a region called the Pine Barrens, too, that's kind of like just tons of trees. It's really actually quite remote in some areas in that in that part of uh, New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, we probably live on two or three acres, which isn't anything crazy, but the woods on my property goes back all the way into, it's like state property or whatever. And um there's a lot of woods and stuff like that around here, but I'm, I mean, I like going to tracks and riding dirt bikes, but I do ride my dirt bike in the woods a lot. And that's, that's pretty good training to just kind of go out in the woods and get lost and make little tracks here and there. And, and that's pretty good training. I, I ride a lot in the woods around here. Yeah. I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, national dural champion came from your neck of the woods too, Mike Lafferty, and he probably trained in those tons of trees so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of guys moto guys that come from around here this may be, seem like a uh, weird observation but 
I noticed that you know you're you're talking about having a special painted helmet. You're an HJC athlete, and how cool is it for you as a young up and coming racer to be listed on the HJC website as a sponsored athlete next to the names of Paul Espargaro and Brad Bender and Cal Crutchlow? I mean, you got to be pretty. You got to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I um I absolutely love the HJC helmet and. I love the whole company in general. Um, Robert and Chris, they're awesome. Uh, and they're, they're like friends to me, which is really cool. And we develop a, developed a relationship, which is great. And um, I, I love the HAC helmet. It's cool what they do with their riders, with the program and, and on the website and everything. And you really feel like a part of the family when you ride with HAC. I love the fact that they give me opportunities to come up with my own designs and really explore kind of express yourself with the helmet and um their company is one of a kind for sure gus you were talking about riding in the woods near your home now it almost looked like you had a racetrack on your property because i think i saw a house in the background is that true you got a got a moto track right there in the yard i have like a woods track which all the road racers that you know brandon has a woods track at his house maz everybody and it's a good way to train um just bouncing off trees in the woods but it's cool because i can make a bunch of different layouts and um I mean, we have a skid steer here on our property, so I can kind of make tracks, but I don't, I don't have any jumps on the property or anything. It's all just single track in the woods and stuff like that. Well, how cool is that? I mean, your dad probably figures the worst you can do is hit a tree with a skid steer, right? So no big deal. Yeah. I was out in the skid steer the other day with like the grappler on it and I was moving trees around it. I wanted like, I had this specific track in mind that I've been wanting to do. So I was just basically running in the trees, knocking them over and grabbing them with the grappler and just moving them, which is kind of crazy. And you're learning some skills at the same time. Nothing wrong with that. So I, you talked about Supermoto and I love I love the, the videos and the pictures on your uh, Instagram. Um, what is the secret to a good stoppy? Because you do those really well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I don't know. I just I just kind of watched Brandon do them when I was little and I just like doing them. It's like a wheelie, but a little bit cooler. And they're a lot harder than wheelies, that's for sure. But you just kind of have to, you feel it in the lever, really. You kind of uh, move the lever with, with how, you know, the brake pressure, you adjust that with how how much you want to stop you, really. And there was a few times rolling up to the grid this year where I thought I was going to go over the bars and, and look like an idiot. But luckily, we... Um, we kept it straight up and, you know, Brandon, he does stop. He's going into the corner and I still have to learn, you know, how to get that down, which I've, I've done them a little bit, but, um, those are just a lot of breaks and trying, just simply trying to slow down before the corner that gets that going. Yeah. That's that next level stuff where you kind of float the back end around and drop it mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. That's, that's, that is next level stuff. Yeah. He's like, he's grabbing downshifts while he's stopping into the corner. Like it's, it's crazy, but I I mean, it's definitely the fastest way around the track. So I wanted to mention, I enjoyed your on track interview where you talked about Kayla Yakov because uh, she's from your region and she kind of grew up, you guys, I think grew up racing together. I'm pretty sure, but you kind of put her in a light of she's an equal competitor. She's as fast as anybody. She fights hard as anybody. And I really liked what you had to say about her as a competitor being equal to, to everyone. The fact that she's a, a, a girl doesn't matter. So is road racing a good opportunity for women to get into a motorsport? Is it one of the better choices to make? It just seems like I see a lot of girls coming up in the sport more than ever. 
I know a lot of girls that ride uh, moto as well, but I feel like anybody, if they have the determination to win and um, they want to put in the work, I think you can do anything, to be honest. So whether it's road racing, moto, um, if a female wants to get into the sport and, you know, they truly want to do it, I don't think it matters where they start. I know Kayla, she started, uh, in the moto side of things. She, she raced dirt bikes before she came and, and, uh, started racing supermoto. but I've been racing against her since, uh, my first ever NJ mini GP race. She was also in that race and, um, she, she beat me really bad actually. <laughs> yeah. She's awesome, man. I think she beat me by like 15, 20 seconds. <laughs> wow. She is something. And it's, it's cool that you guys are racing together again too. I mean, it's just, you guys are going to follow each other throughout your career. I hope you know that it's going to eventually come out. You're going to be in super bike together and I can't wait to see it. It's going to be so cool. Yeah. There's a lot of us that started with NJ mini GP, like me and uh, my buddy, Joe Lamondry. he was in the championship hunt this year. He finished fourth, but my first ever NJ Mini GP race, he was in that as well. And um, I've been, we've been, I mean, our friend or our dads are our friends and whatnot. So we've kind of been progressing through the ranks, you know, together. And um, there hasn't been one year since 2015 that we haven't raced against each other. So um, it must be the, uh, so many fast New Jersey riders, it's got to be the blueberries. Or or as it, or maybe it's cranberries. It's also cranberry capital, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Brandon, Brandon's almost in, he's almost in New York. He's way oh, up wow. there, but me and Maz, we're from the blueberry capital. So I'm curious to know going into 2023, like what are your, you know, immediate goals for 2023 and you know, where exactly are you just going to be twins cup only? I'm just uh, curious to know what your, your specific goals are going into 2023. So yeah, it's just going to be the Moto America twins cup. And my goals are, you know, from the start of the season, I just want to get better and better at each round. And depending on how Daytona goes, we'll see. Hopefully we're fighting for podiums and race wins. That'd be, of course, the goal is to win races because that's what I love doing. You know, that's my goal no matter what I race. So I'm looking forward to progressing uh, through the championship. And as the year goes on, just keep getting faster and faster. Now, what about uh, like your ultimate goal with racing? Like where, where would you ideally see yourself landing as a professional? Would that be like World Superbike or MotoGP or, you know, just Moto America? I mean, we've seen a lot of American riders bounce back and forth between World Superbike and a couple Moto2 riders and stuff like that. So I just want to see where racing takes me. I think, you know, I have my eyes on World Superbike right now and I like I have a few of my favorite riders in that class. So I really think that championship looks like a lot of fun. And um, that's kind of like our Moto America. They have the Junior Cup, which is, you know, the 300 Super Sport. And then they have World Super Sport, which is our Super Sport. So that's kind of like Moto America. But the ultimate goal is to make it to Moto GP. That's what, you know, everybody uh, wants to do. And we'll see where racing takes us. And of course, we just want to progress through the ranks no matter how we have to do it and uh, hopefully end up on the world stage someday. Well, we're looking forward to uh, seeing where your career takes you and just, you know, you continue to progress and uh, looking forward to what 2023 is going to bring you. So where can people follow Gus Rodeo online? Uh, go ahead and share some of your, if you have a website or, you know, some of your social channels where people people can follow your your racing career. 
So my Instagram is Gus.Rodeo, and that's kind of like my main thing right now. Facebook, Gus Rodeo as well, Gus Rodeo Racing. But the team in general, Rodeo Racing, is on Instagram, Facebook, and we have a really good social media program going right now. So you can go there and see all the latest stuff about the team and about me and, and what's going on. So, yeah, that's it. Awesome. Well, once again, we appreciate your time and looking forward to seeing you get uh, better at those stoppies, too. Maybe you'll be the next uh, Tope Rock, you know, for the for the uh, U.S. Moto America Series, uh, doing some some uh, victory stoppies after you win. So <laughs> looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, and I appreciate you guys for having me on. Absolutely. Well, again, thanks so much for your time today, Gus, and uh, looking forward to following your career. Thanks a lot. Thank you. enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd really appreciate it. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog, listen to past episodes, and purchase your own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson and the production team at Wessler Media. I'm Dale Spangler. And I'm Dave Sulecki. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.